Welcome once again to Adventures in Theatre History, where we aim to bring you the best stories from the deep and fascinating history of the theatre in the city of Philadelphia. Hello, I'm Peter Schmitz, and I research, write, and narrate this show. And as always, our opening and closing theme music is by Christopher Mark Colucci. However, Chris is off on an adventure of his own today. He's at the 15th Prague Quadrennial, that international festival of theater and stage design that is held in Czechia, or the Czech Republic, right now. This was a long scheduled trip for him, and I know he's having a wonderful time, and I'm sure Chris will come back with some amazing and beautiful photographs of his experience there. He usually does. But since he's away, as occasionally happens around here, I'm handling all of the sound engineering myself this time around. So if you notice a marked difference in the depth and clarity of the sound experience today, well, that explains that. All I can say is, once again, I'm doing the very best I can for you, ladies and gentlemen, and Chris will be back soon, once again, in our next episode. This is going to be a very different episode in many ways. Actually, we are pausing the narrative of our story that we were examining last time around about the history of the theater, the living arts. I promise you, I'm still working on the story. And as things stand, we will have the continuation and finale of that story in a couple of weeks for you, by the end of June at the latest. But we are going to do a little housekeeping today. I've got some announcements to make. Plus, as I've been meaning to do for some time, I'm going to respond to listener questions I have received about this show and about Philadelphia theater history. And we're going to let all of you behind the scenes of our process and talk about how and why we're doing things here. That's why I'm calling this episode Production Notes from Backstage. All right, first note, we have a big shout out and a huge thanks to Mr. Joe C., who has recently become one of our supporters on Patreon. Thank you, Joe. I am so happy to have you aboard. Now, for the rest of you, I'm only using Joe C.'s first name and last initial because, as I promise everyone, on the Patreon sign-up form, when I announce things on the air, no last names. But if I tell you that Joe C. is himself a longtime South Philadelphia theater performer, a director, and a very eminent artistic director of a theater company, well, then a great number of you will know exactly who I am talking about and understand exactly why we are so pleased and so honored to have his ongoing support for this podcast. Joe joins the other folks who are now, or who have at some point in the past, made donations to us through Patreon. And what I want to remind everyone is if you sign up on Patreon, it's not a permanent commitment. Don't worry. Though your donations are, as they do there, collected monthly, you don't have to stay. You can hop off and you can hop back on again anytime you want. There's no worries at all. Whatever works best for you. If you too would like to consider helping us out with the continuing costs of this podcast, which are real, not overwhelming, but quite real, please go to patreon.com slash A-I-T-H podcast and take a look. There's a link right in the show notes. There are three different levels of support that you can sign up for, which entitle you to three different levels of member benefits in return 
for your donations. But all Patreon supporters get access to bonus episodes, to photos that I share exclusively there, to extra historical essays, and to previews of things that I will be working on in the future. Plus, you get early access and perhaps free admission to our next Philadelphia Theater History Walking Tour. Yes, folks, it's true. That is our second note. There are plans in the works for the next Philadelphia Theater History Walking Tour. As of right now, I'm looking at dates in either late September or early October of 2023. We did a Theater History Walking Tour two years ago, and it was so much fun for everyone involved. It was just a marvelous experience. We visited Edwin Forrest's grave. We walked up and down South Street. We saw the sights of many famous 19th century theater fires. And we actually got to go inside and poke around the Walnut Street Theater itself. Now, on this next tour, I think we're going to be going in literally another direction, though I can't say exactly where yet until I have everything arranged. So keep your eyes and ears open for the announcement. We will certainly talk about it here on the podcast, and we will make an announcement over our Facebook and Instagram feeds. But remember, though it will be open to the general public, Patreon supporters will hear about it first, and Patreon supporters will get first dibs on the limited number of spots. So, another inducement for you to maybe consider supporting us and helping us with our work. Subscribe now. And that brings us to the corrections portion of the show. Because sometimes, despite my very best efforts, some errors of historical fact go out into the air on the podcast here. It may be just as simple a matter as getting a name wrong or a date or a small detail or a pronunciation wrong. Now, it's not unknown for historians, even very eminent ones, to get things wrong when they go to publish my own copies of other historians' books on Philadelphia theater history here. They have quite a few scribbled notes from me in them where I have noticed that this eminent historian has gotten something wrong or mislabeled an image or gotten a date wrong. Unfortunately for these authors, because their error is in physical print, there's not much they can do about it afterwards. You have to either change it in the next edition of the book, if there is one, or insert an errata note uh, if you notice it before the book actually goes out to bookstores. But one of the advantages of doing a history podcast which is not in print, but in digital sound files, is that I can fix things. Uh, For instance, way back in our episode number two, the one about Philadelphia theater in the 18th century, I said that the first professional touring theater company from England arrived in Philadelphia in the year 1746. And that's just wrong. The year was 1749. It's like I mentally flipped a nine over in my head and it came out 46. That may seem pretty small beans, but you know, it bugs me that that wrong number is sitting there. It's just wrong. The facts matter and getting facts right enhances and maintains the reputation of this whole endeavor. So here's what I'm going to do. Now that I've noticed it, I'm going to go back to the sound file for that episode and I can clip out the 1746 and just gently insert what we call a patch. 
a little snippet of sound, 1749, and the offending mistake is gone. And more importantly, the correct information is now supplied for all future listeners. In that same episode, I am also going to take out an entire passage in which I talk about the original Chestnut Street Theater because I noticed in my script, I said the plan of the Chestnut Street Theater was modeled after those of the Royal Theater in Bath, England. Now, that's a mistake that wasn't just made by me. You'll see that published in a lot of places, including in very respected theater history textbook. But guess what? It's just wrong. That factoid was disproved by an architectural historian named John Wolcott back in 1971. I've seen his research paper. He had really gone into the archives of the Historical Society of Pennsylvania and found out the truth about the first Chestnut Street Theater's construction, that it was actually modeled more closely after the Covent Garden Theater in London. And rather than just parroting what every other book had said, he found out the truth. Now, I knew this correct story at one point, but I guess then somehow when I was producing the episode, that old factoid crept out of some dark recess of my brain and made its way into the script. And in the rush to publish the episode, suddenly there it was. Well, once again, I'm going to go back and fix that one too. I've got a patch all set up. There was another occasion that I can recall where I got one very large set of facts wrong, and it wasn't just a niggly little detail about names or dates. On one of our very early episodes about Ricketts Circus, I had a whole passage about the state of African-American theater going in late 18th century Philadelphia. I talked about how wealthy white Philadelphians would send their black servants, quote unquote, to hold places for them in Philadelphia theaters. But as I originally said, the masters did not let their servants attend the shows. They would show up, take their places, send them home. Now, that was wrong. Historians have documented that the famous Oni Judge, a woman who liberated herself from the household of President George Washington while he was president in Philadelphia, she ended up escaping and going to Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Before she escaped, she had regularly been given money by President Washington to see plays and circuses in Philadelphia. In fact, that's one of the reasons why George and Martha were reportedly so personally offended when Oni Judge left them. Uh, after all, hadn't they been so kind and generous to her? Treated her like a member of the family. She got to see shows and everything. Anyway, I realized I had not done proper background research on a truly consequential topic of American history. And I thought that that whole thing was just needed repairing. So I went back to the sound file and snipped that whole section out. Now, naturally, I don't always notice mistakes in the podcast myself, but thank goodness that attentive and helpful listeners do notice them and bring these mistakes to my attention. Now, again, these mistakes may be small, but they're still important. Facts do matter. And in our own small way, we're going to adhere to that rule. For example, in a more recent episode, uh, number 50, entitled Stop Those Swinging Girls, I said that General Smedley Butler, the scourge of Prohibition-era Philadelphia wickedness and vice, had, during his previous years of military service, won two Congressional Medals of Honor. Now, 
When he heard that, go out over the airwaves, my friend, the great and good Dr. Joe Lex, host of the All Bones Considered podcast, wrote me, and he gently reminded me that Congressional Medals of Honor are properly described not as being won. They are awarded, often posthumously. Thank you very much, Dr. Joe. That is an important point, and I will fix that. Another recent example. Russ Walsh, a longtime local Philadelphia actor and educator, noticed in episode 53, Philadelphia Theater Scandal, that I had got a pronunciation of a name wrong. The producer of the Lambertville Music Circus was named not St. John Terrell, but rather Sinjin Terrell. Sinjin Terrell. He said it the way that the Brits do. So I'm very grateful to both Joe and Russ for helping me get things right. It's important. And I'm going to go get some sound patches made and fix those flubs. You betcha. So if you hear something in any episode, old or new, that you think needs fixing or just needs a little more exploration, don't hesitate to let me know. I am so happy to hear from you. Our email is aithpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can go to our website, www.aithpodcast.com and you can use the contact us form to get in touch with me. All corrections are happily and gratefully accepted. I have heard from a number of other listeners lately not giving me corrections but asking me questions about a fact of Philadelphia theater history that I haven't covered in the show. Sometimes these listeners are trying to track down a relative or ancestor of theirs who used to be in showbiz. And wow, I love these queries because frequently they bring to my attention stories about people that I have never heard about before. And their questions often are accompanied by additional images and documents that I am just thrilled to have. Now, sometimes these queries are just curiosity. One loyal and longtime listener of the show recently sent me an email and asked me if T.S. Eliot's play, The Cocktail Party, had ever been produced in the city of Philadelphia. The answer, by the way, was yes, it was done at the Walnut Street Theater in 1952 in a production that was imported from Gregory Peck's La Jolla Playhouse out in California. This production of The Cocktail Party was very well reviewed by in the Philadelphia newspapers, and two years later, another production of it was done at the Bucks County Playhouse, just north of here, in a show that starred Uta Hagen. So that was pretty interesting, and I can find out stuff like that pretty quickly, just by using the online search functions of the website newspapers.com, which I subscribe to, or because of my access to the digital archives at the Temple University Library, I can go into old periodicals and PhD dissertations and publications and magazines uh, which are not available to the general public. Now, sometimes I've got a book on my shelf in my own personal collection just behind me as I speak now, which also has the answer and a little rummaging brings up the answer to any query. So if you have a question about Philadelphia theater history, give me a holler, send me an email, go on the website. I'm always ready to dive in and look into something else, especially if this query distracts me from something else that I really should be doing instead. You know, 
like writing the next episode of this podcast. Literally, just 15 minutes ago, while I was writing this very script, I got an email uh, from a friend about exactly what play the Philadelphia Drama Guild was doing in late November 1973 at the Walnut Street Theater. So, of course, I dropped everything I was doing, and I looked up the answer, and I found out it was Tennessee Williams, The Rose Tattoo, starring Maureen Stapleton and Jerry Orbach. And I wrote her back, and she thanked me, and this was all very wonderful and fun. And, of course, it's always great to put aside your larger tasks to do something more immediately compelling. And, of course, I got back to doing the script eventually, because here I am recording it right now. Again, I get a lot of great leads from these listener queries. I am so interested in the early days of the Philadelphia Drama Guild in the early 1970s now. And often I get queries which take me back to my favorite period of theater history, the 19th century. Just this week, I got a lovely note via our website from Mary Beth Regan. Mary Beth let me know that she is putting together a tour that she wants to give in the future of the Actors' Order of Friendship plot at the historic Mount Moriah Cemetery in southwest Philadelphia. Included in her tour, as she's planning it, will be the graves of three 19th century actors, Edwin Adams, W.S. Fredericks, and Annie Kemp Bowler. Now, these three names were completely new to me. I had heard about the Actors' Order of Friendship, this was a benevolent professional association in the mid-19th century of the theater people of Philadelphia. It was sort of a proto-union. Groups like the Actors' Order of Friendship were fraternities that would look after their members when they met with financial difficulties, most particularly in old age and at death. The mid-19th century was an era when there were very few, or no, pension plans or funeral insurance, and in an attempt to make people's lives more secure and rational and pleasant, the order would provide its members with decent funeral services and with burial plots. You can see the ads in the Philadelphia papers of the 1850s and 60s. Every year, around February or March, there would be a fundraising ball for the Actors' Order of Friendship, and you'd see the list of all the eminent Philadelphia theater people that were subscribing and organizing the event. Such funds were really essential part of theater people joining just the middle-class life, not being people who were vagabonds and lost to the rest of society. For example, it was the Phoenix Lodge of the Actors' Order of Friendship which rallied round and buried poor John Drew Sr., the husband of Louisa Lane Drew, after as you might recall, he fell down the stairs of his home at his daughter's birthday party in May 1862. It organized the funeral service, it paid for the burial procession, and it paid for the plot that he was eventually buried in. In fact, the whole Drew family ended up at the old Glenwood Cemetery in North Philadelphia. Now, sometimes the AOOF, as it was known, helped out non-members in need too, especially actors from out of town who had met with sudden or violent ends while they were in Philadelphia. We have heard in our episode about theater fires in the 19th century 
that in 1861, when the Continental Theater on Walnut Street had the horrible backstage blaze which killed the four Gale sisters and others, these young ballerinas who were incinerated in their gauzy, flimsy skirts, the Order of Friendship helped the shattered family members of the victims to find burial plots, both at Glenwood Cemetery and also at another new large cemetery, which was just being formed on the outskirts of Philadelphia, out in the southwest part of town, beyond the Schuylkill River, Mount Moriah Cemetery. By the 1870s, the Actors' Order of Friendship, in fact, had a dedicated plot at Mount Moriah. And you may remember that Mount Moriah is where the Philadelphia actor John McCullough was laid to rest after succumbing to syphilis in 1885, as we detailed in episode 33. But McCullough's wealthy friends were able to raise a very fancy private monument for him, which you can still see in one of the tonier parts of the cemetery. We're talking about something else in this case, a special plot for people who weren't so well off. And here's where we find the monuments to Edwin Adams, W.S. Fredericks, and Annie Kemp. Now, why were these roving theater folk buried in Philadelphia at all? Well, I know now because I spent most of yesterday looking these names up and I found that there are fascinating and little-known Philadelphia theater stories here. Thank you so much, Mary Beth, for bringing them to my attention. Uh, Poor Annie Kemp, for example, died after falling off a stage platform in 1876 at the National Theater on Callow Hill Street. But I don't want to spoil the fun of Mary Beth's cemetery tour. I will leave that all to her. In fact, I may go along myself when she's finally ready to give it. I will let the rest of you know the details about this tour when I learn them. So, as I mentioned, I'll be back in just a couple weeks with the exciting conclusion of our story about Philadelphia's Theater of the Living Arts in the late 1960s. We'll try to answer the question that we've raised ourselves. Why did this promising and dynamic young theater company, which started out with such energy, not even last to the end of that consequential decade? It will be the final episode of our season two, Drama is Conflict, in which we have detailed many of the fights and disputes and court cases and riots which have ended up happening in Philadelphia theater history. Now, along these lines, I had originally planned to get to the story of the Manning Street Theater Company, which, to my mind, follows directly after the demise of the TLA. But we are not going to be able to get to that this season. I'm very sorry to everyone I have promised this story to. But for various reasons, I'm just going to have to get to that later. So we'll put that back into the storehouse of topics to do in the future. And believe me, it's a great story. Here is my larger plan for future seasons of this podcast. Season three, which is going to start in the fall of 2023, is going to be about Philadelphia the tryout town. That period from the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s when Philadelphia was one of the principal cities that played host to commercial Broadway productions that were out on their trial runs on their ways to New York. It was an exciting time when everything from 
Death of a Salesman, to Streetcar Named Desire, to Music Man, to Gigi, to Guys and Dolls, would have world premieres in Philadelphia first. There were so many titles that you will recognize, famous successes that went on to become familiar works of American theater. And, of course, there were also some astounding flops, shows and projects that just died here in Philly and never got anywhere else, certainly not to Broadway. But these flops make great stories, too. So that's going to be our general topic for season three. And then in the fall of 2024, there's going to be a season four in which we'll return to the story of local Philadelphia nonprofit theaters, including the Manning Street Theater, the Drama Guild, the Wilma, the Walnut, the Arden, all the many burgeoning nonprofit theaters which have made the current theater scene so vibrant and so exciting, and how they gathered strength and steam throughout the really difficult years of the 1970s and 80s, and when things began to go well in the 1990s and the early 2000s. So there's a lot to talk about, and I'm very excited for this long-term project that we continue to go on, and thank you for coming along with me on it. Finally, I have some personal news, as they say. I'm going to be going back on the stage once again in what was unlooked for and a really pleasant surprise to me. I was offered a role this summer in the play Boca by Jessica Prevenz. It is going to be done at the Act Two Playhouse in Ambler, Pennsylvania, directed by the great Tony Braithwaite. In the cast will be other such eminent Philadelphia theater artists as Mary Martello, Tom Teddy, Ellen Ratner, and Penny Reed. Performances are going to start at the end of next month in July 2023 and continue through August. If you are listening right now from somewhere close to that part of Montgomery County, please come to the show and catch it and look for me afterwards. I'd love to hear that you came to the show because you heard about it on the podcast. I'm going to put a link to the information about tickets to the play in the show notes to this episode. So, you know, being in an actual play is naturally going to take up a lot of my time and attention for the next couple of months. I may not be able to get to podcast episodes. I had hoped to be able to put out some interviews. I'm certainly going to continue putting out information on my Patreon feed for those Patreon supporters, so that won't pause. But there's also one other possible big professional project that is looming on the immediate horizon as well. I can't say much about it. I'm sorry to be so mysterious, but that is really all I can say about it right now. And I only mention it at all because I want to explain why I'm not sure how much public podcasting I'll be able to do over the summer. We'll see. Anyway, this is all good news. This is exciting news. I'm so pleased to be able to share it with you or even, as with that last bit, just wave vaguely in its direction. You know, watch this space. Meanwhile, I will see all of you again in just a couple of weeks right here on this podcast feed when we finish up the story of the Theater of the Living Arts. Thank you for listening. We will be back again next time with the exciting conclusion of Season 2, Drama is Conflict, on Adventures in Theater History, Philadelphia. Philadelphia.